Hi, I'm Shari Tishman. And I'm David Perkins. Welcome to the second episode of our newly launched podcast series, Thinkability. To those of you who listened to the first episode on curiosity, thanks so much for your interest and your enthusiasm. Today, our topic is mighty metacognition. Now, that's a mouthful, and we hope to unpack what we mean. But first, let's just start with a simple definition. Dave, how would you characterize metacognition? Well, the usual short, short definition is thinking about thinking. Really, what that is aiming at is thinking about your thinking to make it better. Oh, say, we've all made decisions that didn't work out so well, and sometimes we say to ourselves, I should have seen that coming. Okay, so what could I have done differently? And next time, maybe I'll get more careful. A metaphor I kind of like is looking over your own shoulder. If I pay more attention to how I make decisions or learn something or solve problems, maybe I can get better at it. In fact, a lot of research shows that we can get better at different kinds of thinking by paying more attention. That's what makes metacognition mighty. So let's dive in. Maybe we can talk through some questions here. What is metacognition? How to develop it in ourselves and others? And why is it especially mighty and important to attend to these days? Mm, good question. So starting at the beginning, what is metacognition? Well, you know, one thing for sure is that the word does not do a good job of explaining itself. I remember when people would use the word metacognition, you know, in olden days, almost in scare quotes and apologize for its technical sound, metacognition. But not so much anymore. You know, now these days you hear it mentioned everywhere from Oh, I don't know, kindergarten curricula to state education standards to business leadership seminars. Dave, as you characterized it, metacognition is a kind of watchful stance to your own thinking. And, you know, sort of like a lighthouse, you can be watchful in any direction. For example, you can look ahead, watch ahead and anticipate a situation that you want to be sure to think through well. So thinking for myself, suppose I'm about to dive into learning about a complex subject like ocean ecosystems, which would be complex to me. So if I'm looking ahead about what to watch for means I'm calling to mind what I know about the craft of thinking through complex topics. So for example, I've learned to watch out for being overwhelmed by the sheer volume of interconnectedness of complex topics. So I might coach myself to use some tricks that I know to help me not get swamped or overwhelmed. I might tell myself to periodically stop and take stock of things, to be careful of going down rabbit holes. I might, I might coach myself to make diagrams so that complexity just doesn't get to be too much. Yeah, that sure makes sense to me. Let me pick up on your mention of coaching. One way to think about metacognition is coaching yourself as a thinker, as a kind of self-coaching process. Now, we usually think about coaching in a sports context, say with tennis or skateboarding. And that's kind of interesting because when we think about sports, it brings out the timing question. I can coach myself before, during, and after. But during is tricky. It's pretty unlikely I'd be skateboarding, but I certainly don't want to stop in the middle and say, how is this going? For thinking, sometimes we can step back. Sometimes it's not so easy to step back because of the flow. So we have to kind of judge by the situation. 
But here's another interesting feature of coaching. A good coach doesn't coach all the time. Players wouldn't have time to play. You can't hover. Standing back and taking stock, then you get going again. So to get more metacognitive, imagine yourself as your personal coach. Oh, I like that metaphor. And I, and I like imagining myself as my personal coach. You know, we're thinking about sort of what metacognition is. And sometimes it's useful to think about what things aren't as a way as, of, you know, bringing into relief what they are. And I'm reminded that sometimes in conversations that I've had, people occasionally think of metacognition and mindfulness as kind of the same thing. And, you know, sure, there are similarities, but there are differences. You know, for example, metacognition is really about critical awareness. It's about being more purposefully agentic about your own thinking. Mindfulness is an attitude of accepting awareness and a sense of being comfortable in the present, which is wonderful. And the two can overlap, but they aren't the same thing. So for one, metacognition might be focused on the present. You know, what is my thinking like right now? But it can be very forward-looking, thinking about the future and the future of what you're going to be thinking about. It can be backward-looking, sort of assessing your thinking in the rearview mirror. You know, and another distinction between mindfulness and metacognition is that metacognition is, at least in spirit, more overtly strategic than mindfulness. You know, we practice metacognition with an eye toward taking cognitive action, you know, with an intention to direct our thinking in strategic ways. And mindfulness is, again, it's a wonderful thing, but it's, and it's about dwelling in the now, not so much taking strategic action at another time. Okay, well, I think we've got some sense of the question, what metacognition is. So let's turn to our second question. How can we develop metacognition, you know, in ourselves as well as others? What do you think, Dave? Well, maybe the biggest idea here is paying attention at key moments. Let's face it, we often tend simply to roll through things like studying or making a decision. We need to stand back every now and then and ask, hey, how is this going? Could it be better? Simply paying attention sounds easy, but we all know it isn't. Habit carries us along. And remember that coach image. It's not all the time. The coach doesn't hover and nag. The coach steps in strategically here and there. Now, the good news is that you don't spend tons of time on metacognition. A little bit here and there can go a long way. Just a couple of minutes can give you a boost. That's a great thought, and it really seems true. It's just a little bit of strategic attention can really be helpful. And, you know, I think that that's true in classrooms as well. You know, um, teachers don't have to spend half the time teaching metacognitive strategies. They can just sort of build in metacognitive moments, like giving your students time before a task and inviting them to plan ahead, or just periodically asking students to externalize their thinking, to stand back and look at it and talk about it. Or maybe just from time to time, have students turn to a partner and discuss their thinking, you know, explain how you think your think thinking is going, what's working, what isn't. Or at the end of a learning experience, teachers can ask students to explicitly describe their thinking process, not just what the answer is or what their understanding is, but how they got there. I know an educator who has her students draw maps of their thinking process after a particularly challenging learning experience. 
And she encourages their maps to sort of be like a journey, you know, showing the stuck points, their aha moments, and so on. And I think it's a really clever activity because the externalization piece is just so important. Metacognition, in large part, is about becoming aware of our own thinking in order to manage it and make it good. And becoming aware means making your thinking accessible to yourself, visible or audible or doing whatever it takes to bring it into conscious awareness. Yeah, all that sounds great. As I think about it a bit, though, I'm seeing that there's another side to the habit of standing back, taking stock and coaching yourself every so often. What are you looking for when you take stock? What kind of thinking in a broad sense are you doing? And what do you want to watch out for? If it's decision-making, I might ask myself, have I talked it over this particular decision with somebody who knows a lot more about that sort of thing? Not decision-making in general, but whether to go with this brand of car or that brand of car, let's say, whatever it is. Seeking knowledge from others, that's a good decision-making move. Or if it's a situation where I need to invent something, have I thought about lots of creative options and not just the obvious ones, and so on. So what kind of thinking is it? And what does that kind of thinking call for? Mm, I see what you mean. I mean, on the one hand, in a very broad way, you could say that the broad outcome of metacognition is a kind of general cognitive process quality assurance. And that's, you know, because the whole point of metacognition is to make your thinking better, whether the thinking in question is decision-making as you were describing or creativity or problem-solving reasoning or whatever, just make them better. But as you point out, there are more, there can be more targeted outcomes. So in addition to those sort of classic critical thinking occasions, decision-making and so on, there are other metacognitive goals that might invite attention. So, for example, consolidation of learning, as we sometimes call it, which means sort of when you're done with the learning experience to really consolidate what you've learned, make sure that you take stock of the main points, looking for headlines. And relatedly, another kind of metacognitive goal might be after a learning experience, reaching to make new connections to existing knowledge, transferring to other kinds of things that you know about. Those are slightly more specific than just plain old quality insurance. Oh, that really reminds me of everybody's favorite annoyance, memory. We all of us have puzzles from time to time, remembering easily what we want to and that kind of thing. We're all aware that there are some memory tricks that can help if one gets down to them. Using association, using imagery, knowing about these tricks is one thing. Putting them to work is different. It's easy to know a trick, but also easy not to get around to actually using it. And that's where the self-coaching comes in. Also, there's another broader kind of stance here that's very metacognitive. Awareness of yourself as a thinker. Getting to know your thinking self, your thinking style. What kind of a thinker am I? What kind of a thinking might I want to be? I, you know, I agree those are, you know, these are sort of special outcomes of metacognition and they are worth sort of naming and pointing out. Not to make things too complicated, but here's another one. You could even call it meta-metacognition, which is when we probe and think critically about 
basic assumptions that we have around thinking. Thinking and thinking about thinking, metacognition, isn't value-free. We have beliefs about what count as good thing, what kinds of things count as good thinking and what good thinking should look like. These are values and many of the beliefs are, are justified, but sometimes it's important to challenge them and, and maybe even change them. So for example, there used to be the idea that good thinking should be objective, you know, it should be dryly logical and free of the taint of emotion. But these days we understand much more about the you know, the roles that emotion can, the really powerful and positive roles that emotion can play in good thinking, you know, emotions like empathy, for example. Okay, well, we thought a little bit about how we might develop metacognition and what some of its goals are. What do you think, Dave, about why metacognition is especially mighty these days? Yeah, I guess one big reason is that over the past decades, we've learned a lot about it. There's been research and experiments in schools and other settings about what works best and what we simply often leave out because we're not paying attention or don't happen to know about it. Some tricks we easily learn from our own experience. In decision-making, it's not hard to see that I should have talked over this decision with somebody who knows a lot more about it than I do. Sometimes, though, good practices don't emerge that easily from everyday experience. For instance, in studying, a lot of people study by reading over and over, but actually research shows that's not a very good way to study. It's much better to test yourself and then check back to what you need to. It's much better to try to organize in your mind or on paper the highlights of what you just read. Reading over and over is a, a weak strategy. Or here's another one, short-term thinking people tend to do what's called discounting the future. When they think about a decision, uh, future costs and payoffs, if they're a month away or a year away, tend to get underweighed relative to the immediate temptations of the circumstances. Or concerning problem solving, we tend to fall into a definition of the problem we're facing rather quickly. But a lot of times we can ask ourselves, what's the real problem? How else might I define the problem? And sometimes a breakthrough comes from simply finding another way to think about the problem. So some things are easy to come by, some tricks, not so much. Mm, it's great to be reminded of the research. A lot of the research that you mentioned has been around for a while, research on reading comprehension, problem solving, decision-making, not that there can't be more research, but it's cool because we know a lot about how to avoid pitfalls in these areas, of course, only if we pay attention. But it's worth mentioning that our knowledge about pitfalls and thinking does continue to grow. For example, more recently, there's been quite a bit of research on the role of implicit bias and the ways that we make judgments about other people. And this research is really important to take seriously if we want to do our best thinking about kinder and more just societies. And speaking of recent times and contemporary issues, some of the issues that feel very contemporary can really benefit from what we already know about good thinking. I'm thinking of issues like fake news and entrenched political polarization. Yeah, so true. These days, we all worry about how false information circulates so widely and how polarization leads to stubborn views on many issues that don't 
really reflect the available evidence at all. I'm feeling that for the sake of getting along and getting things done, we need a better grip on the way the world works. You might say, well, people just don't care. It's all politics. Actually, though, research shows that many do care. It's just that in a lot of everyday contexts on the internet or in conversation, how reliable something is just isn't on people's minds. But when anything alerts them to that, many people immediately and spontaneously get more thoughtful, no matter what their politics. What makes the difference? That magic kind of paying attention, metacognition, looking over your own shoulder, mighty metacognition. Huh. You know, th that mightiness is really encouraging that, that we can gain a lot of ground by just looking over our own shoulder. It's a lot more helpful than trying to simply muscle ourselves or other people into believing other things or adopting other points of view. We all know that simply shouting louder and louder, you're wrong, I'm right, doesn't work very well in terms of changing people's beliefs or attitudes. Much better, as you suggest, to create moments of metacognition or just to cultivate the habits you know, there's another aspect of metacognition's mightiness that's worth mentioning. And that's the influence that, can, that it can have on how we think about designing learning experiences. You know, learning experiences that provide opportunities for metacognition, which is self-directed thinking about thinking, are experiences that have to take student agency seriously. And that's because metacognition is about thinking for yourself. So designing instruction that really fosters metacognition means taking some of the authority for judging the quality of thinking out of the hands of the instructor and giving it to students. Oh, yeah. And that's where the coaching metaphor comes back. When you are self-coaching, you're taking on personal agency. You're coaching yourself toward better cognition. Whatever we pick up from others, in the end, that's what metacognition is all about. Well, with that, maybe this is a good moment to stand back and see how we're doing on the questions that you asked earlier, Dave. What is metacognition? How can we develop it in ourselves and others? And why is it mighty and important to attend to these days? Okay. So what is metacognition? Well, basically, paying attention to how you're thinking and learning in order to make it better. I like the phrase you use, Jerry, cognitive process quality assurance. Or we can say taking stock briefly here and there and redirecting, coaching yourself to sharpen up your thinking. So, well, how do we develop it in ourselves and others? Let's see, we, I mean, most straightforwardly, we develop the habit of regular moments of stock taking and standing back before thinking, during thinking, and, and also after thinking experiences. We look over your own shoulder, as you say, and we can nudge ourselves to do this. And, and in classrooms, educators can help by just folding in metacognitive moments. Another important aspect of developing metacognition is creating opportunities to, for, for people, students or otherwise, to externalize their thinking processes, to make them accessible, to make them visible or audible. For example, we can talk to other people and describe our thinking, or we can draw pictures of it. These are ways of externalizing it. That sounds good. And another way of developing your thinking is learning from our own experience 
and from sources, friends, books, teachers, learning about often neglected but good moves for different kinds of thinking, whether it's decision-making, learning, reviewing, memory, creativity, and so on. Because different kinds of thinking are different in many of their good strategies. But the good news, a little bit goes a long way. So what about our last question? Why is metacognition especially mighty these days? Over the last several decades, we've learned a lot about how different kinds of thinking can go better. So let's use it. And in the current era, misinformation and polarized positions, oh my, they are all over the place. It's not only stubbornness, though. It's partly just not looking over your own shoulder. So true. You know, in thinking about today's world, I really can't think of anything that's more needed than the simple mental sequence of pressing pause, standing back, and taking stock. Here, here for metacognition. Well, great to have a look at this classic topic of metacognition, which really has a new look these days. And let's wrap up for now. See you next time, Shari. See you next time, Dave. And thanks to our listeners. You can find us on Twitter at ThinkabilityPZ if you want to share any ideas about this episode. We'd love to hear them. And we hope you join us for the third episode when we'll be talking about intuition. Yes, intuition. Now, that's a kind of thinking you might not even see as thinking. So how does intuition work? When is intuition at its best and when might it mislead? Please tune in for our next podcast called Enticing Intuition. You can always find the Thinkability podcasts on the Project Zero website. Also, the series is hosted on the Substack platform, so you can simply type Substack Thinkability directly into your browser and you'll get right to it. Or just look wherever you get your podcasts.